Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. Welcome back to the podcast. This uh, is a, a tradition at this point. It really I is. I yeah. love it. I love it. I'm always happy to be here. Sad yeah. we couldn't spend Sundance with you like last year. Um, but yeah. here we are virtually chatting about Sundance. So how was your, just generally, how was your Sundance experience? Yeah, I mean, I see the pros and the cons of the virtual space. Um, I mean, I, I certainly don't miss like running from venue to venue in the snow on a bus, but, and, but then it was also like, I felt like it was much more immersive. Um, and you know, I have like a, I don't know how big it is, but it's a decent sized, uh, flat screen and I have it set up so that I can like be really close to it if I want to be. <laughs> and so it was kind of just like me in the screen for like seven days. And I, I probably watched about, I don't know, three to four movies a day. And um, yeah, it was just the most stressful part about it was the time limits and the like when you could watch stuff part. You know, I get it. It's, you know, these filmmakers need to make a living. Like, so they're, you know, trying to control it. Um, it was just also like a little bit stressful. Like, do I have enough time? And there wasn't, I played something and then I didn't realize I had played it and then I couldn't watch it again, you know? So it was things like that. But after I figured out that, then it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. But then, yeah, again, once figuring that out, I was like, wow, I'm seeing so many films a day. Like, definitely in my experience it's more than like when we were in person just because of like we're in our home all right next one you know like that's that's what you do I guess yeah it's interesting I mean so you always watch a lot of films though how did this compare to the number of films you normally watch in a year oh I've never watched this many and that's probably the best thing because you know in the it's a couple of things the virtual thing and then also like I um wasn't assigned to write for anyone this year. So I'm, you know, doing pitching and freelance stuff after the festival's over, which gave me the space to just watch a lot. Whereas when you have to review certain thing by a certain time, you just can't see as many films. Um, so it was it was a blessing in that respect. Like I, you know, here's my here's my list, my must see list. And I think it has like 20 films on them. And I think I saw all of them. So. <laughs> wow That's incredible impressive yeah. yeah it's interesting too I don't know if you had this thought or feeling while watching it but I just I did think that the festival did a really good job of um making it feel like we were you know watching these filmmakers creations by doing they do an introduction in the beginning where a programmer introduces the director director says a couple of things and then the q a's after which like for me at the festival that's like one of my favorite parts i love seeing the director talk about it and then bring up their cast or you know really you know crew members and 
And I think Sundance did a good job of keeping that spirit alive. So it wasn't just like, oh, I'm, I'm watching another movie. It's like, oh, I'm watching this experience that like, you know, all these people created. Yeah, no, the Q&As are, I mean, that's huge. That's like so much a part of the experience. And, and knowing that it's their first time showing this thing they've been living with, that, you know, that sense of time and like the preciousness of revealing it to the public and, you know, being among the first people to see it, you know, is like just part of the specialness of Sundance. But I think this year I noticed I was able to take more of a risk of watching films I wouldn't necessarily be drawn to. Um, I did a mixture of, you know, my own thoughts of reading the description, but also like seeking out people like yourselves for recommendations of stuff that I should watch. And, you know, I watched a few experimental films that I probably wouldn't have seen. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of opened me up a bit wider. Well, I guess, um, yeah, we've, we've, you know, danced around the movie. So let's just talk about the films. Like, what were some of your favorites uh, from the festival? Together Together was definitely, like, the yes. thing you come to Sundance for, um, to see films that may or may not have commercial success, um, but are really interesting and well-made and um, the people who made it really cared about it. Um, so I just thought it was brilliant. It's a movie about a single guy who wants to have a kid by a surrogate and it's about his relationship with the surrogate as you know platonic friends, they're not romantically involved. And so it just brings up all these like, I think really timely questions about relationships and you know, we're all three big fans of the platonic rom-com and it's sort of like, I felt like move that genre like really forward and it's just very innovative and creative and well thought out and funny. So um, yeah, I really like that one. Um, I like, you know, I'm always here for like a woman who's not, tw who's older than like 30 doing something with her life movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there were a lot of those both in doc and um, the main one in uh, narrative was Robin Wright's land, which I, I enjoyed. It was kind of like Castaway, but in the woods. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you all saw that. I, I enjoyed that one. Um, and also there were so many docs about like legendary women, like, you know, Amy Tan. That was a beautiful documentary. Um, and uh, Polly Murray. Um, well, Alvin is not a woman, but whatever. Um, you know, cultural legends, um, Rita Moreno. So that was, I saw all those and it was really a treat um, just to see, you know, it's inspiring to just see someone's life story and how they lived it and, you know, what they overcame and where they are now with it and all that. There were, and then also just, there was so much I didn't know about each of them. I mean, I like Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I put quotes around like because, you know, it's a really hard subject. Um, I did watch it twice, though, just to try and give it a chance, another chance. And um, I definitely enjoyed it more the second time because um, I'm just, you know, one of those weirdos who's very sensitive to violence. And so, like, I very carefully curate what kind of movies I watch in that realm because it'll literally stay in my mind for weeks and I can't get rid of it. Yeah, so I, second time I didn't watch the violent parts as much, but I, and I kind of loved the love story. And um, I was also just technically really impressed by how fair he was to all the different, like both to Judas and the FBI agent and to Fred and the Black Panthers. Like, I felt like he didn't, 
you know, put them on pedestals or take them down either. Um, maybe a little bit more on the FBI. I mean, they did it to themselves, but um, <laughs> he really leaves the audience to decide how they feel, which I thought was really demonstrated quite a lot of restraint, um, <laughs> which I was like, wow, that's impressive. Oh yeah, and I, I like Summer of Soul. There were some really good docs this year. For me, those are the ones that stood out. What about y'all? Yeah, I was surprised by how many docs we ended up watching. And it was really fun to watch docs. I don't feel like we really watched many in the last few years. We focused more on features. Um, but I came away with the same thing of like, wow, there is so much I don't know about so many people. And what a great gift to come to this festival and just learn about an incredible person or Rebel Hearts. We watched that and that was amazing. And just all of these women and learning about this history that we knew nothing about was really um, informative and fun. And yeah, I loved watching them. Yeah, we got to talk to the the filmmaking team behind My Name is Polly Murray. And that was mm -hmm. exciting too, of just like, wow, here's this person with this incredibly expansive life. And I just felt like the filmmakers were so excited to like, just tell about what they had learned about Polly. And that was an exciting, like, kind of like meta experience almost. Like we just took in the film and then just to like see their enthusiasm, both in the Q&A and also when we chatted, um, was also an exciting part that just felt like, oh, we were kind of more involved in that this round. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That's great. Another thing that kind of stuck out to me that Larkin and I talked about was um, just how well they match up the programmers to the filmmakers and yeah. uh, with the Q and A's. Like we watched Marvelous in the Black Hole, which um, a lot of the main cast are Asian Americans, and Kim Utani was you know leading that um, Q and A, and just like she was able to personally connect, you know, with that story in in her own personal you know perspective. And I just saw that replicated throughout the whole festival of just the matching up. And it just, that added to it as well. Yeah, they were super thoughtful about that. And I don't know about you guys, but it took on the programmers introducing the films. There's a way in which you don't really get to connect with them at the live festival. But through the virtual festival, I felt like I, I noticed I was starting to fangirl like, oh my God, Sujeep's here. Like, I love it. You know, um, <laughs> like you start to like attach to almost like their YouTube personalities or something. Yeah, that's um, so true. I didn't think about that, but you're so right. Yeah, it was a good opportunity to see some of the programming staff and their individual personalities too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt like I got to know them more and just honestly just saw each of them more times right. this year probably just because i watched more films um than in years prior i'm curious to hear your thoughts on coda i know that's a, been a big uh, i'm assuming you've seen it but it's been like the yeah, i feel like a, the darling of the festival i just wanted to discuss like what you thought about the film yeah i mean coda was really unexpected but also felt um like oh, this is way past its expiration date um, in terms of seeing this representation. I actually went to high school with a girl who was a CODA. Um, and so I, and she was the first person I knew who was part of like the deaf community. And so I learned a lot about deaf culture from her. And I used to live in DC and one of my best friend works at Gallaudet, which is the, you know, premier deaf university. And um, she's hearing, but you know, signs. And so I've gotten like little bits of exposure to deafness. I guess I didn't really, I'm really wary of like, I could pass judgment on it as a movie, but I have no idea about like the cultural cues and like 
you know, how it landed for deaf people. So I, I'm actually, I haven't read anything about that. I'd, I'd really like to see how deaf people respond to it. I thought it was a great movie, really great, you know, um, storytelling. I loved how they mix like sort of the working class struggle with like that these people aren't just deaf, you know, like there's a whole bunch of things going on in their lives. Um, I'm all about worker co-ops. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think people, I, I thought it was just fine. You know, it didn't like wow me, wow me, but it, it, and I was, the part that really took me out was like, girl, Berkeley School of Music didn't cancel your appointment. Like if you don't confirm that stuff, you don't get, they're out waiting for you, girl. Like, <laughs> and I know that's like, you know, that's just the movie person in me is like, girl, that appointment's gone. But, um, <laughs> I'm dying. That, yes. That, that's true. That's, that's how the world works. On that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like my big takeaway is just like, oh, wow. Yeah. I've never seen a movie like this with a ensemble of a deaf cast and had never thought about that either. You know, it's like, oh yeah, we should be seeing films like this and hearing stories like this and yeah, questioning, like, are we, um, seeing films written by, you know, different types of screenwriters or deaf screenwriters. So, yeah. And it was just so fun to see the actors at the Q and a and, um, yeah. like that was just, I don't know. It was kind of magical to see that Q and a in particular. Um, and then like the award ceremony when they got the many awards that they got. Um, that was really exciting. Uh, last question. Did you pop into any of the new frontier things? That was like a big part of the virtual, um, or I guess like film party stuff. They built a virtual reality spaceship that you could partake in on your computer or on the virtual reality goggles. And that allowed you to experience these like film parties after the films and or the VR projects themselves. Mm -hmm. But did you did you delve into the VR space at all or did you did you I stay out? I couldn't figure it out. Um, and I think I waited too late because there was um a, a VR on Octavius Butler and um, I wanted to see that because Terrence Nance was behind it and this other new filmmaker Sophia Astley who's short I really liked this year um, about Latasha Harlins uh, but I I couldn't figure it out I kept clicking on it and it wasn't going so I went to like the virtual parties I think I posted on Twitter about how I was sitting at the bar by myself virtually so <laughs> So I was like, hmm, interesting. It was kind of weird because people were like running towards you and then you were just like a face on this like sick body. And it was, I don't know, it was kind of, you know, hilarious. And yeah. mostly, but um, no connection really happened for me there. Yeah, I'd say same. You know, we tried it. Um, I also tried doing this, some of the VR stuff from my computer without the goggles. And a lot of them some of them work with the goggles and with the computer some of them don't work with the computer some of them only work with the phone it's like the mm. tech stuff was a little complicated you know it's not like you can't use everything with everything which then i gave up on things and sundance has been at the forefront of vr storytelling so totally you know yeah. it felt like natural for them to do it because they've been doing it for years and mm -hmm. i don't know many other spaces that actually give filmmakers a real shot to show vr work so mm -hmm. can we continue to watch the shorts after the festival I tried i, I want to i hope so I yeah hope so too i know we can watch the q a's because i asked the press people about mm -hmm. that 
Okay. I, yeah, I made a playlist on YouTube of them. And I think, I don't know if you all know about the backstory. I'm, I mean, I'm asking of like people who got in knowing like, were there less people who applied because they knew it was going to be virtual and the people who got in, did some of them withdraw because they didn't want, you know, they wanted to, because I feel like maybe part of the reason there were a lot more docs and a lot more indies this year was because of the commercial aspect of like, there was only a couple commercial, big commercial films. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, this could be my brain working overload, but I know that, you know, selling at the, selling is a big part of Sundance and so if their selling potential is going to be limited they might have sat on it a little longer I think some people did sit on theirs mm -hmm. <laughs> like wow what it would it be like to have a film and sit on it but um yeah. I do think some people didn't uh apply probably um I think a lot of shorts applied but yeah, as far yeah. as features go yeah I would imagine that's the case especially I I mean you might know more about this I read somewhere maybe that um some of the i mean there's you know they're not going to buy the films right now like amazon or somebody isn't going to buy films and they're not going to release that like they already have their slate for the next year you know um a lot of the studios already kind of have their slate because they've been sitting on films but, yeah it's a backlog yeah 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 right. yeah so i don't know i did a panel yesterday moderated a panel yesterday with um Regina King and the, the cast of um, One Night in Miami and Regina at the end started, actually started crying, but not like in a crazy way, but she was just emotional about, you know, how they didn't get to have, you know, a premiere in person and they haven't seen each other since they made the movie. And I think there are just a lot of people in that situation right now of like, you know, grateful that they have a career and can yeah. put movies out, but also like sad that, especially when it's your first feature and you don't get to have that experience. It's like so many people this year, you know, even Miranda July from last year, you know, all the people from last year whose films got bought and then, you know, the COVID happened. And right. I just really feel for all of them because it's so much of a part of the film experience and really connecting with the audience and like seeing how it lands for people. Mm -hmm. um, this thing that you've lived with and made for so long and um yeah so that was definitely like in my mind I was I was experiencing Sundance too it was just like kind of feeling for all these filmmakers you know yeah definitely. yeah and just like how does the you know it's like there's like this Sundance buzz and conversation and then if your film gets distribution then like later on in the year there's even more buzz and conversation you know and it just feels like oh yeah that all dropped for the 2020 ones yeah. and then for this it's like yeah I think they said more people participated in this Sundance than ever before but then it's also like yeah so is it just this week that we're thinking about these films and then right. you know then we're in the pandemic still and 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 then what happens i'm not sure was it is it just sort of like oh wow we wanted new things to virtually watch um right this week but how does right. that translate for the rest of the year and and yeah i don't know i don't know yeah that is that's an ongoing question of like is the accessibility does it cheapen the product or does it reduce it in some way you know right. in terms of its value and, or its perceived value by right. people um but then on the flip side of that, the accessibility of the festival this year 
is amazing. Like people from all over the world who for a number of reasons might not normally be able to travel to the festival were able to watch these films and participate in it. And that's also an interesting, um, you know, piece of it. Totally. Yeah. My mom's like, Hey, did you know Sundance is online this year? Like I heard about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I think we really covered the gamut here. This was, uh, Uh, yeah, we went really deep today. (laughs) (laughs) We needed needed this download. Um, It's funny because like, yeah, seeing it virtually, you really kind of feel like you're in your own like cone of like silence with it. And even like on Twitter, there's not like a it wasn't a cohesive like, okay, we're all watching this, you know, so like, I do miss that feeling. Um, So I feel like we recreated a little bit right here. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I always appreciate you inviting me on your marvelous podcast. Thanks, Andrea. (laughs) Thank you. We love having you. You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 